So you said, you know, as I asked you how you're doing, you just said you're doing as good as you can or something like that. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. You're not like super duper happy or what's going on? Like things aren't wonderful. Why don't you say that? Like, oh, everything's wonderful. Can you imagine yourself saying that or or no? <clears throat> you know, Raj, actually everything's really damn wonderful. Is that, would that be a lie? I, I still have things to work on in order. But then that's also a bad mindset because then you're trying to making goals for yourself in order to be happy. But then obviously that won't end up in happiness. I don't know. I guess yeah. Yeah, I'm not feeling wonderful, but I still have work to do on myself. I see. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, we don't we don't want to have things going on in order for us to feel wonderful. We should feel we should feel wonderful, just as we are. Like, yes, we're the sum total of everything that's happened to us in this life, but we want that to bring us to a place of contentment where. We don't need anything else. Like I could die right now. And I'm like, you know, I did pretty good. But there's so much for me to still experience. It's like, it's, I guess it's hard to feel content now when I know how many things there are that I have still yet to do. Hmm. Well, the challenge with that perspective is you're never going to be done with stuff to do ever i mean i've done a i would say i've done a lot in my day but i haven't done everything i haven't seen the great wall of china and i guarantee if i was at the great wall of china right now i'd be like well i haven't done everything (laughs) it's probably a bad point i made i didn't mean everything but either way yeah what you're saying makes sense but I understand because you're, you're, you've got a, you know, we're not the same age. So you, I'm over, over 10 years older than you, right? Mm-hmm. Am I, am I 14? probably 10? I think I'm 14 years older than you or, or 13. How old are you? 34. 34, yeah. So 13, yeah. So <clears throat> there's so much that's going to happen in that 13 years. And then when you're, yeah. when you're my age, you might be able to say, right, hopefully, you know, that you're content. If yeah. I was your age, you know, I don't know what I, when I was 21. Would you be able to be, like what you said to me, would you be able to be that at this age, do you think? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, when I was 21, just getting into the monastery, I don't know. I was pretty damn happy. I've always been a kind of a happy-go-lucky guy. Even when I was kind of a no-good, no-good guy, <clears throat> I was always kind of, uh, I was always kind of okay with whatever was going on, humorous, and because when I was even younger, I was the, I was the, um, the clown, the class clown. I always wanted to make people laugh and just. You know, I don't know. I was, I do, I, I have had this kind of 
happy-go-lucky demeanor forever, I think. I don't know where I got that from. Maybe from my mailman, Butch, when I was a kid. Uh, maybe I was surrounded by just kind of jovial people and I picked up on them. I don't, I don't know. So I did want to give an update for me. Um, very excited about this past week. Arthur, my good friend, Arthur and, and pod, podcast guest, uh, extraordinaire, um, voyage without carbon Tesla, uh, most mo miles on a Tesla model three, uh, Arthur Dreesen, he, uh, he stayed at my house this past week from Thursday to Thursday for, for Thanksgiving. We had a big Thanksgiving, uh, feast and we fed a small army of friends and, um, really, really fun. But he stayed so that we could essentially break down hours and hours and hours of my footage of teaching material over the that I've created over the past two years. And we got through a portion of it, not all of it, of course. It would take, take a long time to get through all of it. But we got through a portion of it and we made 65 new teaching clips out of about 20 teaching videos. So I'm now, I've now added 50 to the Zen Mind Academy. So the, the largest database of mindfulness teachings has now increased by 50 individual clips. I'm calling daily motivation. It's, it's something that a student can just log on, you know, from their phone watch, watch a few clips and kind of get pumped up and, you know, kind of get motivated, um, get a quick, quick dose of mindfulness teaching or Zen or relationship theory and things like that. And then be on their way. So I thought that was, I thought that was beneficial. And then they're all captioned. So you don't have to have your audio on. You can just watch it, uh, you know, on a bus in front of everyone and no one will actually be able to hear anything so we're obviously i'm behind in the times but captioning a video gives you four times four or five times the amount of viewing capacity or engagement so we put a little bit of money into that and um, now we've got a good workflow for the future i'll be breaking up all my teaching lectures into these small clips I've got about four or five more that I created the other day. So that's just something that is exciting. And uh, I, I really like the, the Zen Mind Academy. I think it works well. Uh, we've had uh, our youngest student finish it. I think he's seven. <laughs> so, well, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's a, a genius seven-year-old uh, navigating the world understanding a lot but you know these young geniuses they have problems too they got to deal with their parents and they don't understand why they're being told to eat certain things and clean certain things they're still seven right but in a part of their mind is activated and and they're understanding the subconscious and they're they're seeing how you know social media is destroying <laughs> reality <laughs> 
So I had a chance to, luckily, you know, he lives close to here. So I had a chance to sit with him and um, him and his parents. And we talked over the academy and, and he had some amazing things to say and some corrections for it. So, you know, he was, he said he was on day uh, 17 of the meditation and 17, let's see, 18, 19 and 20. I, I break up the teaching flow of the meditation and I just go through advanced uh, breathing techniques for three days. And then the meditator is on day 21 and they're expected to meditate for 21 minutes. Whereas they skipped three days of consistent meditation from 17 to 21 or 18 to 21. And he's like, you know, day 21 is harder because I haven't had those three days of, of practice. I've been doing something else and you expect everyone to stay at, you know, to, to move on right after that. <laughs> and I said, I've, I've never thought about that. That's, that's, <laughs> that is a three minute jump that I'm asking people to do or maybe four minutes. I don't know. I haven't looked at it specifically. And I forgot exactly what it is, but yeah, it's three days of breaks. So maybe it's a four minute jump and I don't recommend four minute jumps in meditation. As people will know, I, I recommend usually one minute at a time until you get to about 30 minutes and then you can make 15 minute jumps and things like that. So I have to fix that. I, I have to, I have to figure that part out. It's not, it's not finished in my mind yet. Um, Maybe I'm expecting too much from day 17 to day 21. So that was a, that was a good one from a seven. I got schooled by a seven year old. He was like, Look, wow. man. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool. I like that. Uh, and then we had an inter in interesting discussion on luck. And uh, I really was, so I was, I have to admit, I only have a few hours of teaching capacity in me after about three or four hours, I'm kind of mentally exhausted. So we ended up around 10 PM discussing luck, probability and karma. And he was trying to convince me that luck exists and that there's random probability. And I was trying to convince him that, there is no luck even with probability because we have karma. So it doesn't matter essentially if I flip a three-sided coin or three-sided device and it lands somewhere, even with the odds that I'll land on one of the three because my karma will kind of is fluid and I have free will still. So I can flip a coin and it'll land somewhere and my karma will dictate what happens next. And the funny thing about karma is that it could have, it could have landed on another side and my karma would have been the same. So I would have come out with the same or 
I'll put it this way. Whatever outcome I come out with is the outcome I was supposed to come out with. So that's why luck and karma and, and, you know, that world of free will discussion, it, it doesn't really, you know, I eventually was able to say, you know, you can't prove this wrong, but nor can you prove it right. And we're both at a stalemate because, you know, we both have to live our life still, regardless of, of probability and luck and things like that. And if we believe in karma, we don't just believe in good and bad. We believe in, in faith in this, in, in life, that life can happen and life should happen. We're, we're asking uh, to have faith that life should happen the way it happens and that no matter what, we can thrive regardless. So if you depend on luck, for an outcome, I think you're going to be setting yourself up for failure. I think if you, you know, the, you know, cause what does it matter? I think the argument or the, the conversation that, that prefaced all of this was about astronauts. And I think a few thousand people will train to be astronauts for a given launch or something like that. And only a handful of people are selected and then only one or two, right, in the past, of course. In the future, we'll have spaceships that can, you know, take fleets of people. But, you know, there are relatively small pods where people can go into space, right? Right now, I think that's what SpaceX has a pod of, of two or three uh, I think it's, I think you can buy a pod for two astronauts. So if you have 11 elite astronauts, right. And only two get selected at random, right. The, the thing is, the question was why bother? Because the odds are stacked against you. And, you know, if you're going to live like that, why do anything? Cause the odds are probably stacked against you. There is, there's too many people on earth to have good odds anymore. And yet people are defying the odds, right? And it's not luck. It's, it's a mixture of hard work and intention and focus. And we just call that karma. That's a part of the karma soup. It's a big, it's a big vibration and it's just, something we're all a part of. But the part that you can't prove either way is even if that intention fails, right? Let's say you're the hardest working astronaut out there. You're the first to show up and the last to leave. And you're, 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 it's just, it's perfect for you. And, and everyone says you're, you're bound to be picked for this mission, but it doesn't happen and you go off and do something else, that was the karma anyway. It didn't matter. And whatever you do will be a success as long as you have that kind of focus and intention. Intention is big. So you may not be an astronaut, but if you're worthy, you could be able to teach astronauts. 
and be the teacher behind a generation of astronauts, you know? So there's some kind of karma with space flight. It's just not, it may not necessarily be with what you thought it would be. And that's the kind of mystery that we're all in. And so, yeah, I was explaining that at 10 o'clock to a seven-year-old and I think we all we all had a good discussion, but I realized I was shot. My my brain had reached a capacity, and I was couldn't even explain meditation after that. Um, okay, something that stuck out to me was when you said the odds are stacked against you, but could that not depend on perspective? Because when you say the odds are stacked against you, you're looking at the negatives, but I'm sure you could find so many positives as to why it could work. So yeah, you could look at why the odds are stacked for you instead. Yeah. Perspective, a a perspective shift there is huge, right? That's the glass half full and the glass half empty perspective perspectives. Yeah, you can, you can absolutely. And that's what I think powerful, effective people do. You know, people just look at the, the fact that someone can possibly do it. And then I think that just creates the next person doing it. I think if you look at skateboarders nowadays, um, they're doing things that we never thought possible especially at a young age. And, and when we were young and we were young skateboarders, we would look at our role models and they were doing things, but we, we would only know that we could imitate what they were doing. And so if you, if you see something possible, that's all you need. You don't need uh, numbers and statistics all the time. You, you just need to see that someone has done it and, and that, that could be you. The, the, difficult in cre- the difficulty in creation in this world is when, you, when you've never seen anyone do it. That's, the, that's where it takes some serious, unstoppable willpower, um, a big budget usually, right? The, the, the Musks out there in the world, the Elon Musks who are doing things that haven't been done before, that's what requires the um the archetype the creator archetype the madman scientist the the person who is willing to try to bend space-time those are unique people those are special people that and, and life cycles and karmas that that aren't normal but nonetheless they come around that's why that's why the eastern Eastern method, you know, of, of reincarnation. And it, it helps answer so many questions about that. How are, how are these people, how do you get a musk? You know, how do you, how does, how does culture keep going on? How does, to think that it's all random is, is, is just, I don't know how you live that way. I don't know how. Cause, cause if your cards are already set, you know, what would be the point of doing anything? But you don't know, even if they are set, you don't know how 
I mean, you can't see into the future, so you don't know how things will play out. So even if they are set, you're still experiencing new things. Yeah, if you don't know how they're set, yeah, then it doesn't matter. You just have to play it out. Part and the adventure is is kind of playing it out. Now, the funny thing about Eastern the Eastern method is that they are played out, which is kind of funny, right? Here I am saying that there's free will, there's karma, but but you're it's it's any any outcome works. In the end, you know, we're we're destined in the Eastern thought that to reach perfection, to reach moksha and vishvagrasa. Uh, moksha being um, liberation from earth and vishvagrasa being complete absorption and singularity in into God and in, into all creation and non-creation. So sorry for interruption. If you're meant to be content with where you are now and how you are now, then how are you meant to reach that place? Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> that's the that's the the paradox of being and becoming. We're supposed to we're supposed to simultaneously accept things as they are and be content while also striving to be better, to to do things we haven't done before. It's it doesn't make sense, but <clears throat> but therein lies the the nature of life. We have to be content to a certain degree or else we will never be satisfied. But it's just because life is infinite variety and novelty <clears throat> without a foundation of contentment and understanding the present moment, we'll always be running after the carrot because our goal will change. That's the thing. I would say being and becoming would not be a factor, would not exist if humans were in a game-like situation or scenario and there was an, an end. So if I'm on the fitness journey and all I had to do was lose 10 pounds and that was it, and, I, and I, there's no weight loss after that. Well, yeah, you don't have to be content and you, you go forward and lose the 10 pounds, right? But we know that that's not the case. We lose the 10 pounds and then it's like, mm, I could have a little bit more muscle on my arms. Mm, I could fit into this maybe, or I could do this. I could do that. And all of a sudden we reach one end of the, we go from the unbearable present to losing the 10 pounds. And all of a sudden the, the negative 10 pound state, it becomes the unbearable present. And it's like, dear God, what can I, I got to do something next. So that's the way life is we know that for a fact you could be wealthy you know live live and have no more means need to get means and live you could live on an on a beautiful estate and we know that there is more to do though you cannot just sit inside of a luxurious estate overlooking the beach and drinking wine and having sex like there is no hedonistic reality that reaches a maximum upliftment and then drops off or, and then stays the same. It drops off. We can't just 
do that because people are in that situation right now. And yet it's not enough, right? Jeff Bezos can get a little bit more. He can donate a little bit more. He can change his company even more. He's got some kind of drive, right? To keep going, even though he's the wealthiest man in the world. And guess what? There'll be another wealthiest person in the world too. You know, if they just keep going a little bit more beyond him, if, if, if we thought that, that we could get to an actual end, then we don't need to be content, but we've got thousands of years of history to back us up in, in the thinking that, that, Hey, there's always going to be something else in a capitalist world. You can continue to make money. In a, in a well-populated civilization, you can continue to, to meet sexy new people. In, in a world full of variety, you can continue to change things ad infinitum, just infinitely. So given that, we need to understand that the present moment is probably the best it's going to be until the next present moment. And if we're not okay with that, we're going to go crazy and live a life of suffering and madness. And that's the donkey and the carrot. That's the, that's the, the yogic explanation. That's, that's the cliche, but it's, it's cliche for a reason. Does that put being, you know, does that put it in, into perspective, Rokas, that being and becoming like, well, why, yeah. why be so, if I can always become? I'm trying to piece it together in terms of, I guess I'll just, okay, I'll start speaking and see if I can go from there. So when you are in contentment, when you're content, then you can really start improving yourself. That's like, would that, is that like what you're saying? Uh, I don't, I don't know. Usually it takes discontentment to, to. But then you're, you'll always just be striving for something else. But if you're content, then you're happy with who you are now, but you know that there's more. But yeah, as you were saying, it's like the paradox. Yeah, it is. If you get, you, you can't, <clears throat> you can overthink it if you want. And, and <laughs> over, yeah, analyzing it is important, but uh, you also just have to live it. Mm-hmm. So no, if I'm going to want to be better, I've got to be unhappy with the present moment. So remember that there's like an evolution to everything. There's a there's a, an evolution to everything. So when we're just beginning on this path, right? When we're young, or whenever that is for us, we have to be. We have to find out that the present moment is unbearable. We have to find out that we can actually be more and do better. We, we need that. We need that state of suffering to hit us in the forehead. That's the beginning of the path. Then we get better, we strive, we do things, and we kind of attain a certain level of maturity. We need to uh, eventually kind of balance out 
if we just keep doing and doing and doing and doing, right, and the, and the present moment is never bearable, then we have a problem. If it's initially unbearable, then that's usually the catalyst for change and transformation, right? You can't deny that. Everyone's got to be that rock bottom kind of upset, disgusted with themselves and the world before they do better. But eventually, we are better. We're, we're a better individual. We get to that new us, that new goal, that new point in our evolution. All right. So we get there, right? Then we need to start understanding that we can be content with who we are while doing better. We, we, we get to a certain point because eventually if that person never changed, they would be exhausted. They could have a, a high amount of energy and zest for life, but, but they might drive themselves insane. And you see go-getters do that all the time. They, you know, people that are just business, like unstoppable businessmen, businesswomen, people that are, people that are uh, very smart and savvy in the world and uh, they rise to the top quickly. Those kind of people, that's wonderful. But if, if they don't eventually balance out, you know, they're, they're, other aspects of their life will begin to fail. And you have, I see it all the time. Their relationships go south. Um, the, you know, the 40 year old plus businesswoman who just looked after career missed out on family. And statistically that brings them to more suffering in the long run. Um, it, it's, it's a common theme, you know, and I think for, for those people, they eventually get to a certain age and the age usually stops them. And I remember uh, one, of the, one of the monks would, told me this quote when I first started training. He said uh, that, the, oh, there's a famous, uh, let's see. I got to look this up. There's a famous actor, Marlon Brando. That's it. So he said, Marlon Brando, you know, Marlon Brando is a, if you don't know, he's was a, one of the most famous actors of his time. Uh, you know, young, hunky guy, just made it in the world, had whatever he wanted, you know, women, um, the lifestyle, wealth, skill, like he was extremely skilled, changed the way for a lot of actors and actresses in film uh, paved the way. And, you know, when he was older, he, he was asked what life was all about. And he said, you know, at, at my age, after everything that I've done, I'm still kind of trying to figure that out. And the, the point was you can, you can strive all you want and you should. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm saying you can strive all you want, but at the end of the day, you're going to end up at the same place that everyone else is. And so it, it, it helps to have some contentment and peace with where you are in the present moment. Um, this striving for something 
a distraction from facing yourself. Yes, a lot of times it is. Facing yourself is the hardest battle anyone can undertake. And I think I've written somewhere that, you know, that because it means finding out that you're wrong. <laughs> means finding out that you you're the you're the villain in the story. Far, you know, spend more that? Well, the basis of enlightenment is is finding out that you've been controlled by ego your entire life. You've never acted genuinely and you're, you've, you've been out for success just for yourself. And as we reach this pinnacle in meditation and self-mastery and enlightenment, and we come to face ego, we're able to finally see ourselves for the first time. And that's a very difficult process. And in and, and Eastern, the Eastern method says that ego is running everything. And ego is, is desire. And it's the villain. It's, 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 it's secretly trying to, to succeed and, and win out. And in the end, the, the true us, right? The true person, the soul, the spirit is, is just waiting, you know, for it to be known. And when it's revealed who you really are and ego fades away, we have a new type of striving. We have, a, we have a new type of contentment. So everything kind of shifts in the game. And it's no longer about us. So you never, you never strive for purely personal gain again. You realize that every good that you do, individual or social, is actually for the good of everything and everyone that ever has and ever will be. That's the, that's kind of the pinnacle of enlightenment. And we won't be able to honestly do that until we face our true selves then, right? Until that ego is lifted. Yeah. Everyone gets to that point differently. Also, it's not just, you know, you have to go into a monastery and do this and this you have to have some sort of ego destruction, like ego, ego has to show it's like reveal its true self. And then you see, you see things for what they are. And, and a lot of people uh, have cool stories about how it happened to them. Like uh, Chris Marhefka that we had on, he, he had his own rock bottom moment and, and um those are beautiful things. So I, I always encourage rock bottom moments. Okay. So I need to grab a book I've been reading. I wanted to read from it. Mm -hmm. I had a great discussion with uh, my neighbor on Thanksgiving. You know, we were talking about the lockdowns and everything and, 
uh, you know, I can't get away from saying it anymore because it's, it's so integral now to everything. And, and, you know, I talked about the discipline of it and everything. And we had episodes in the very beginning, you know, what do you do given all this new stuff and all that stuff. And, um, well, I still feel the same way, right? Like, like life continues, right? Even if you're restricted to a cell, life continues, right? The, the alternative is not acceptable. However, I will say that this really brings up a lot of good questions about life and, and, and what life means, you know, and at what cost. And so I'm not really finding any good arguments to lock down the entire civilization of humans. Um, I think if the effects were more catastrophic, I would, I would go along with it and say, yeah, you know, if we had really bad numbers and, and people everywhere were like keeling over in the streets, like some kind of plague, I'd be like, yeah, we need to take this seriously for the continuing of the human civilization. Right. And history has had those. But at this point, I'm, I'm not convinced and, and no one has been able to convince me of, of, of a mass quarantine of healthy people. I just, okay. I don't see it in the numbers. And so, what my neighbor was trying to convince me that, well, don't you care about other people's grandmas? And I said, well, no, I don't. And I'm sure their grandma is wonderful and everything, but that's the risk that you take for being alive and they should take careful measures, but everyone else needs to go about their business. Go ahead. You were going to say something. So uh, we don't know the whole picture. We don't run a government. We don't know the information. Uh, so it's, I guess something you would probably usually say. Um, wait, what was I thinking? Uh, well, well, it's I'll, out of our, it's out of our control, so I don't even know if it's worth talking about. We just go on with life. Aha! Now that is something that I would say, and and that which is out of our control um, is not worth fretting about. I agree. I'm just saying. For the sake of conversation, I have not yet found a logical argument as to what's going on in society. And I think it's easy for people who are still getting paid to, to you know, suggest that everything is going along just fine. But if you own a small business or something or an inessential business you're, and you're screwed, I mean, I really feel for those people. That's all I'm saying. Um, and then that is something that, that is unfortunate that is happening, happening, regardless of how mystically you look at life. I don't know. But I'm not letting that, I'm not letting what's going on change my path. But luckily, you know, because I don't have a small business, if I had a restaurant or something, you know, and it had to close because of restrictions, I mean, that could be a problem. 
right? So there's a certain amount, right? It's that being and becoming. It's that same discussion. While we have to be okay with, with who we are at any point in time, we also know that we have to strive for something. There, there can be something better. And I think if you see something wrong, you know, there's a certain level of activism that, that should be taken. And, and I, do think it's, I do think it's wrong for small businesses to be closed. I, I don't agree with, with uh, what the government is doing in anywhere in the world that's lockdowns and things like that. Anyway, I know you don't have a big opinion on it. I just want to, I think it's just, I think it's just, uh, we're at the point where I can't avoid it anymore. It's just something that I feel that is important. And, and I stand behind every small business owner, every restaurant owner, you know, everyone who's been in this lockdown madness um, and all these restrictions. I don't, I don't agree with them. I don't, I don't like it. Okay. All right. So I was reading this book. I'm giving a uh, lecture tomorrow to uh, a youth group. Uh, Zen Mind, as a nonprofit, is giving is giving a lecture to another nonprofit uh, and their people, um, youth, some children, some youth, some young adult, and and parents. And we asked them. Uh, we ask these kids what their biggest fear is and what topic would they like to hear about the most. And, and a lot of stress comes up, a lot of worry about school and anxiety over uh, expectations of parents and things like that. And so I was like, okay, I'm, I can talk on all that. But I do want to kind of, I do like to reread some of my old books to kind of um, get a grasp on some fresh ideas again. And um, a mentor of mine gave me, gave me this book. I think it was last year. It's called the structure of magic. And I was just reading, rereading it again. It's a beautiful book about neuro-linguistic programming. So listening to our, listening to what we say as a therapeutic, um, measurement of what's going on with the person. And I just thought there were some profound ideas in here. And it started to make me think about social media. And I know that social media is destructive and, and it's, a, it's a dangerous habit. And, you know, we're at a point in society where we need to be regulating our individual media usage and content consumption, because if we don't, it will consume us. Right. There's no doubt about that. And you and, you know, well, you know, I've been talking about that since 2015 and you know exactly um, where young men online are, are feeling about this as well. It's getting overwhelming. And uh, I just wanted to read this interesting thing. A number of people in the history of civilization have made this point that there is an irreducible difference between the world and our experience of it. That there is a difference between the world and our experience of it. We as human beings do not operate directly on the world. 
each of us creates a representation of the world in which we live. That is, we create a map or model which we use to generate our behavior. A representation of the world determines to a large degree what our experience of the world will be. How will we perceive the world? What choices we will see available to us as we live in the world? Okay, so again, this model theory, this, this, it's almost like game theory for life, right? World of Warcraft is, is what it is based on the world that you're playing in. And so life is also the same way. However you see the world is how it's going to be. They go on to quote a philosopher of a, of a book, of another book. It must be remembered that the object of the world of ideas as a whole is not the portrayal of reality. This would be an impossible task, but rather to provide us with an instrument for finding our way about more easily in the world. So it's fascinating to think that um, the world is only that which we make it. That's a very profound thought. The world is only that which we make it. It is nothing in and of itself. It is nothing in and of itself. It's some kind of, it's some kind of Petri dish for us to add to. It's like a, 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 a realm of potential. I think that's an incredibly liberating idea. And I'm not sure how else to look at it. To, to be honest, after you are convinced that that's how things are, I'm not sure if you'd want to see the world any other way. I'll go on. No two human beings have exactly the same experiences. And this is the part that reminds me of social media. The model that we create to guide us in the world is based in part upon our experiences. Each of us may then create a different model of the world we share and thus come to live in a somewhat different reality. Right? So we live in a somewhat different reality. I had to mute you there because... Wait, could you hear it? The other type? Yeah, I was muted. No, was you weren't muted. muted. No. <laughs> you were not. That's so weird. Okay. You thought you were muted? Because, yeah, I, it was showing me that I was muted. Mm. So sometimes the mute does work and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. That's weird. Okay, my bad. Sorry. No worries. Um, so that's interesting, right? To create a different model of the world we share and thus come to live in a somewhat different reality. Okay, so we all are living in a different reality, right? Then that becomes very clear once we start talking to other people. <laughs> Uh, they go on to quote another philosopher. Important characteristics of maps should be noted. A map is not the territory it represents, but if correct, it has a similar structure to the territory, which accounts for its usefulness. Um, all right, so we're all living in these different uh, worlds. Okay. Now, models and therapy. Our experience has been that when people come to us in therapy, they typically come with pain, feeling themselves paralyzed, experiencing no choices or freedom of action in their lives. What we have found is not that the world is too limited or that there are no choices, but that these people 
block themselves from seeing those options and possibilities that are open to them since they are not available in their models of the world. Isn't that amazing? In, in other words, we're limited in an option and so we feel stuck. However, we just need to see more options and then we're liberated again. Whereas, so I'm, I'm reading about all this again to find out, you know, how I can um, kind of pinpoint some of these issues with young people. And it's, it's, it's scary to think that social media is so much a part of their thinking because they're naturally using social media as a way to fill in the model, their model of the world, you know, as if social media is real. And it's, it's, it's too, it's like taking the world on steroids and, and funneling it into a drink and then hooking that drink up to an IV into your blood. And social media is this, this tincture, this compound of pure and uncut um, like comparison and model of, of an infinite amount of people. And it's being pushed into you. And young people who are impressionable come away with it as if like that's the way the world should be or that's the way the world is. That is a scary thought because they're not mature enough to understand how to critically think, right? They may not be mature enough to understand the distinction between social media and their life and it could be poisoning people so that's a little bit what i'm gonna kind of talk about tomorrow with these people and and um you know some other things and some other fears and stuff that they have oh in regards to to other people's expectations as well like these kids have a fear of their parents expectations right as as I think that's common in some cultures, but you know, we all have, especially if we admire our parents, hopefully we don't fear our parents, but if we admire them, you know, naturally we want to meet up to their expectation. But the dangerous part about meeting up to someone's expectation is that it's not your, it's not your worldview. It's their worldview. It's not yours. You're, you're simply borrowing from their worldview and hoping that it fits in yours. And it may, parts of it may, right? And that's what we call culture and tradition. But at some point, you have to split away from that and create your own experiences and, and, and your own model. And so I'm not sure how the parents are going to feel about that when I say that. But it's true, you know, we, just because your dad was a lawyer doesn't mean that you have to be a lawyer. You may want to be a lawyer. You don't have to be. I think it's so fascinating um, to think about life like that. And I've, I have trouble not thinking about life. You know what I mean, Rokas? Unfortunately, um, I was following for a while until that thing happened with the keyboard. And then I just drifted <laughs> after that. Did you, did you usually, as in, was that the only time you heard me typing or did it happen before as well? Oh man, you can't stop thinking about it, can you? No, I can't. Yikes. Because, yeah, that might have ruined quite a bit of the audio then. 
No, it didn't. It didn't at all. And it really wasn't a big deal. So it's interesting that that's, uh, you, you have yeah, a, you have perspectives. A, <laughs> uh, perspectives of this. It, that, that, that's part of it. But it's also interesting. Um, you have a premeditative mind. Meaning? A meditative mind controls awareness or manipulates awareness. So keyboard as a concept and, and, and keyboard ruin, ruining the video should be able to be um, moved, right? It, it's not the most important thing. It, it did not destroy anything. And that concept should be able to be put to the side. And like, I'll check that later. So a meditative mind can catalog experience and, and manipulate where things go and when and what to focus on. A premeditative mind does not yet have that ability. So I highly recommend that, that uh, you work on that. Um, mm -hmm. Is that, does that ever affect your, I mean, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like, you know, what about university though? You're, you're a good student, right? Yes, but if I go to a lecture, it's hard for me to focus because I would keep zoning out on things. So only I can only really learn probably when I'm watching back on the lecture for a video where I can pause it and rewind. Do you um what what keeps you one pointedly focused, like lifting weights? Sports? Movement. I guess things where there's yeah engagement. So mm -hmm. even something like if I'm just working on a programming task, that's fine. I can be really focused on that. But when listening to something, yeah, it's just like it used to happen with the podcast at the start. Like I would zone out at times, but for a while now it has been fine. Like I've been following most of the time that you've been speaking for. A while now as in probably past 20 episodes whereas yeah, before you, i would yeah i, I think you, you i told you before i would say you and you and helena have the same issue <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just tune me out no, <laughs> no of course and, and that's that's totally normal really you're but what's funny is you're you're well what's interesting is you're you're we're now in a situation where if i was a doctor you know i'd prescribe you with with some kind of ADHD drug to numb your senses so that you didn't pay Imagine. attention. Yikes. Have you ever been diagnosed with that? No, I did not go to a doctor for that and I would not Good. have medication for that either. Good. Do you believe in that? That kind of ADD, ADD, ADHD? Um, maybe, yeah, it does exist, but I don't really care and I won't let it affect me. Good. You and I are on the same page with that, man. I, I mean, obviously we all have focus issues. We just choose what to focus on. So if you, if you've got some kind of thing you're interested in, that's going to take your focus up and doctors are worried that kids don't focus in math. It's like, well, yeah, cause math looks stupid for most people. And if you gave them, if you gave them a soccer ball, they're, they're going to want to kick the soccer ball or something like that. You know? Um, I don't know. It's like, Duh, everyone has preferences and school doesn't always offer yeah. the preference that the, the mind is interested in. The challenge with life is that we have to kind of play the game until we graduate. 
unless we we're under another scenario. We're either wealthy and we don't have to, or we're extremely skilled and we can just compete our way out of it. Did you ever, have you seen the Queen's Gambit yet? Movie? Do you have Netflix? Uh, no. It's a miniseries. Yeah, don't have Netflix. Like eight episodes. Okay. Is it good? You would it's amazing. It's, it's incredibly amazing because it, it shows, uh, it's a fictional story showing, you know, the mind of a genius having trouble with all other aspects of life, but chess. And chess is so engrossing, you know, she uh, mm -hmm. is a, becomes a world champion. And to me, that's like, you know, that's a great way to go if you have that skill. But some people, they can't focus on, on shit, and they don't, they, but they also don't have any skill. So in that scenario, if you don't have skill or wealth, you've got to play the game. You've got to, you've got to look good on paper till you find your thing that makes you money. You know what I mean? Or, or mm -hmm. brings so much happiness that nothing else matters. Do you have a thing in your life, Rokas, where it brings you so much happiness, nothing else matters? I think that's what I meant by I still have a lot to experience. Yeah. At the start. Um, I think I still need to find that. Because yep. before it probably, I would have said games, but that's a bad thing to have unless I'm going to become a professional gamer, which I'm not. So <laughs> yeah, I need to find other things. That's funny. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But I still have 13 years to catch up to you. There I you go. See how I am in 13 years. Talk to you in 13 years. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Set the timer. Well, um, let's close it out there. Uh, I need some um, glucose and my coffee's all out. And uh, so I think that was fun. Um, yeah. Completely improvised. In a world of improvisation, we indeed are a good team. And remember when we started off, I would have to have everything scripted because <laughs> I just couldn't improvise. <laughs> improvisation is a good skill i will say that yeah. as an old man um improvisation is is what most skilled people are kind of doing they're like in jujitsu if you understand certain basic elements the rest is improv right that's what's so fun about it the it's it's truly improvisation it's 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 chess because it's based on not what you know it's based on what the other person does and so any game that requires you to be patient and wait for the other person and then to map out a whole other set of realities based on what they just did. Now that is exciting stuff. Mm -hmm. All right. We want to thank everyone for listening through this nonsense. And uh, we want to thank Rokas especially for recording, for uh, converting files, putting them up, posting, writing out, everything um and editing you know sound quality everything as the producer rokas we thank you we don't always thank you uh we want to thank the listeners for wasting their time and and instead of spending quality time with their family <laughs> or or paying attention to the road fully 
for listening to us. Um, we've got thousands and thousands and thousands of downloads at this point and from all over the world. Very cool. Um, you know, people constantly tell me uh, how they like the show. They, they binge the show when they find it and then they have no more episodes left. Uh, that's, that's a really cool thing to hear. Rokas, yeah. that people binge on the things that we say and the dynamic and, and we, we evolve as characters in their head. And we, um, we just, you know, we hope to keep doing this and maybe more insights will come out. And if you get a chance, you can go to amazon.com and search for everything is your fault. You can pre-order my book, which is out next year, early next year. Um, and we'll be talking more about that in the weeks before launch date, but you can pre-order. I think it's a reduced price before the book actually comes out. Everything is your fault is about, you know, extreme ownership to use Jocko's phrase. It's, it's trying to take your life back in your hands by blaming yourself for everything that went wrong, everything that went right. Um, and everything that is yet to happen, right, is up to you. That's the point of the book, and it's exciting. We'll read more of that and read from the book as those the, the time gets closer to book launch. Uh, Zen Mind Academy is my uh, nonprofit uh, with a few other uh, close people in my life. We are trying to help people for free. We are trying to change the lives of other people um, and uh, using Zen principles is kind of the way that I'm, I'm, I'm navigating through the world. And I think everyone uh, religious or not can use Zen as a principle of, of life. And that's zenmind.academy um, or zenmind.teachable.com. Either one of those or a Google search will get you there. Zen Mind Academy. We have a massive online database course structure for people to take and follow, and it's, it's cheap. It's like $8 a month. Um, it's $20 a month if you want me to, be, to help as an active professor in your academy courses. And if you're a corporation, we now have a corporation package where you can use the material. You can... Um, uh, not have to worry about intellectual property rights and you can actually take the modules and teach them to your students, to your employees, to your uh, clients, to your patients, you know, anyone can use that material at that point. That's a new package that we're offering because we noticed that our material is starting to get stolen. So we don't want that. And uh, when you sign up for ZenMind, you indeed sign a, a, a confidentiality slash uh, uh, intellectual property clause that asks you not to complete, compete and steal. Um, but when you sign the corporate package, we remove that and you can use it wherever, whenever you want and say that it's yours. And that's the best part of that package. So that's why that package is so damn expensive. Um, cause it took me years to kind of boil down these teachings and Hey, you know, pay up. <laughs> um, that's all we've got. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you next week. Thank you, Arsh. And yeah, thank you. Next week.